This is a Hot Pie Original. You know, and then it's also, I think, this idea of being a learning leader, sort of what is my learning capacity? Do I have a growth mindset? Am I am I adaptable? Am I flexible? Am I resilient? Am I willing to change and evolve as a leader? I think that may be actually one of the areas that is probably the weakest for many leaders is they sort of think they have this playbook that, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And they're not willing to change and they're not willing to evolve. And gosh, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's taught us that we better be willing to change as leaders because the expectation for leaders now is really quite different than it was even just a year ago. Elise Mitchell is a three-time CEO that most notably founded and sold Mitchell Communications, a PR firm whose client list included Walmart, Procter & Gamble, Marriott, Mondelez, and other well-known brands. Currently, Elise works as a leadership strategist, executive coach, author, and speaker. In this episode, Elise and I discuss the common pitfalls of leaders, the inability to lead themselves. Using her story as a backdrop, Elise walks us through how leaders can better lead themselves and their teams. This was a fantastic podcast for all hard-charging leaders out there who just want to win and will work themselves into the ground to do it. I personally walked away from our time together examining my own life and my own personal habits. If you're looking for information and resources on how to improve your health, well-being, and performance, then sign up for my free high-performance newsletter, Adaptation. Just go to www.ericcorum.com and sign up now. This newsletter is my effort to bring zero cost, high performance resources and tools to anyone with a desire to improve. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. All right, well, Elise, it's great to have you here today. Thank you for making some time for us. Um, really excited about talking to you because you are just a fascinating human being. I've heard you talk about motorcycle riding and how that's had a significant impact on your life and actually your view of leadership. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so that's a great question. Thank you for having me, Eric. I'm so excited to be here too. So I often tell people, well, they sort of kind of go, huh? When I say motorcycle saved my life. And I know that sounds odd, especially because I'm married to an orthopedic surgeon, but it was because I was a workaholic, Eric. My story is to be an entrepreneur. I built a company and um, loved doing that. It was the ride of my life. But there was a time in my life that all I thought about was winning at work. I'm just so focused on my company and building the business. And, you know, in all honesty, I look back, I think I was also sort of running from my personal life in a lot of ways, you know, whereas everything on the outside looks so good, the business was doing so well. I was so focused on it, but inside it was all kind of falling apart. And I I learned, by I ended up in a moment of insanity, getting on the back of my husband's motorcycle and taking a 10 day trip. And I remember thinking, well, the business is not going to be able to survive without me for 10 days, which I think they were all like, yay, she's she's going (laughs) away for 10 days. I needed it, Eric, because I realized I didn't have 
Um, I wasn't having fun like this anymore. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't living a whole life. Mm-hmm. I was sort of missing out on the joy in the journey. And that's when I began to realize, oh, you know, as a leader and as a business person, I'd always been very destination focused, always reaching the goal, getting to there and then the next there and the next there. And I was missing the whole journey. And it really changed me, really made me a very different type of leader. So I'm always quick to say, yeah, motorcycling saved my life in many, many ways. That is interesting. There's a little more color now added that your husband's an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> I know. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Yeah. He's, he, we, we had a trip last week, actually, out in California, and I was on the back of his bike. It was amazing. So we've been very blessed so far. No accidents. I, one of the things that I, I saw a video that you were talking about this, and you talked about target fixation. Can mm-hmm. you double click on that for a second? Yeah. So I, so when I, when we got back from this trip, this 10 day trip, my husband said, you were meant to ride these. And I was like, Oh no, like I like being on the back of your bike. He said, no, no, you were meant to ride. And he was right. Actually, it was really great for me to go through the experience of learning something very complex and very cold. And I remember sitting in the class, I was in a motorcycle dealership on a Friday night and we had this instructor, his name is Big Mike. And he had like the, you know, the black leather vest and the tattoos on the arms and all that. And he was teaching us important things about motorcycling. And he talked about target fixation. He said, you know, as you approach a turn, if you stare, that's where a lot of the hazards are like, you know, potholes and oil slicks and gravel, things that would make your bike slide. He said, if you stare straight into the turn or the target, you know, the, the hazard that's in the road, you'll drive right into it because it's like your bike follows your eyes. So even if you're not a motorcyclist, if you're a bicyclist, you screw at that. It's like where you look is where you steer is where you go. Hmm. He said, you can't do that. You ha-, He said, there's a name for it called target fixation where you've been so focused on the potential hazard you go right into it. And he said, instead, I want you to look at the target, the problem, make a plan to adjust around it, but never lose sight of where you're trying to go. And he called it looking through the turn. Mm. And that was like the big aha for me was, oh, like how many times in life are we focused on this hazard? This We have this target fixation and we end up putting all of our energy into it because we're so worried about it. And we lose sight of where we're trying to go. That was made a huge impression on me about how to, how to try to be a different leader. Mm. How did that impact like maybe as, a, as an organization when you're looking at goal setting? Um, or trying to unite an organization around a North Star? How did that impact how you went about that process? Yeah, that's a a terrific application for it because we tend to get really worried about all the things that might go wrong in our business. So we, again, we focus too much time and energy. It isn't that you don't make a plan. Of course you do, but you've got to keep everybody's eyes focused on the bigger picture. Otherwise we do, we get consumed by all the day-to-day chaos and we, we never are sort of down the road of envisioning, well, this is where we want to go. And how is what I'm doing now as a leader or as an individual inside of our larger organization, how am I doing what I'm doing now is impacting that long-term goal. And I can't get too tripped up when things go wrong or when I make mistakes, or perhaps we experience a bit of failure. We still have this bigger dream, this bigger goal to go for. Don't take your eyes off of the bigger goal. So that's a bit of a of a trick, right? As a leader to help your people understand, hey, we might be stubbing our toe at the moment. What do we learn from that? And how does that help us be smarter, better, faster to get to what we're really trying to accomplish? Right. So when you started Mitchell Communications, 
was that what, what was that was that oh 2008 or around there <laughs> Well, I had been building it at that time. I okay. actually started it in the late 1990s. Okay. My husband drug me kicking and screaming to the small corner of the world, which now people know all over the world. So Northwest Arkansas, Fayetteville, Bentonville, the home of Walmart. That's what many people know it for. Okay. So I started the business late 90s. And didn't the company, like you experienced tremendous growth. I mean, 500% growth over a period of time and you ended up getting, you ended up selling the company off. But I believe from our previous conversation, was there something that happened around 08 that or like how, <laughs> how did you manage that time frame? Yeah, so there was a global recession. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I know, you and I laugh about that. We yeah. know it. Some people, of course, these younger professionals today are like, oh, yeah, I remember people talking about that. Well, uh, that was right when I had was in the middle of building my firm. And it's mm -hmm. just like, you know, 2020 was for so, so many leaders. It's like, oh, my goodness, I could never have seen this coming. What do I do now? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my big lesson from that, that was actually, as you said, that was, believe it or not, it was the beginning of this huge tra growth trajectory for our firm that I never could have envisioned. We grew over 500% in five years and it all started in 2008. Yeah, that was so, it. That was an inflection point. So what happened in this mm -hmm. massive economic downturn that you were able to, what happened there that you were able to catapult your company with? Well, I, what I learned from that is that in mo these moments of disruption, there's tremendous opportunity because mm. the, everything has changed. Like all the old rules kind of get tossed out the window and there's new opportunity. So you have to be really good as a leader. It's sort of not freaking out about what's not working and say, wait a minute, where's the opportunity here? How do I think opportunistically? How do I see potential in the change? Where, where are things going? Where are they changing? And so for us, we did that at that moment. We leaned into our strengths, which was to be very nimble and responsive as sort of a small business at that time. And we also took a lot of risk. We started and launched several new services that we thought had the potential to really take off. Of course, we didn't know if they would. Some of them did, some of them didn't, but some of them became homes for us because it was the way the market was moving. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think the lesson I took is you got to be willing to place the bets. You got to be you know, a calculated risk taker and not be afraid to try some things to see what might really become potentially something really significant to drive your growth. So how do you evaluate risk? <laughs> well, I have this sort of magic ball, Eric. <laughs> no. You say you can see around of corners. so. You wanted to say, where's that crystal ball yeah. she has? I know. No, of course, none of us have it. But it's actually, I do believe there are some very specific skills that you can hone as a leader that make you much more of what I like to think of sort of a future thinking leader. Like, how do I sort of get on the balcony more often and sort of see broadly and, and envision scenarios? You know, this might, this might happen. Here's the potential here. And how do I sort of connect the dots there? And I think when you, you come up usually with lots of ideas, you know, many of them should probably never see the light of day, but some of them, you know, might be really good. So I do think, and I, I did a bit of study on this when I was on my book, I wanted, there's IDEO, of course, one of the great leaders in creative thinking, IDEO came up with this idea about there's the intersection, there's sort of a sweet spot between three things that as a leader, you should really try to focus on when you're trying to be innovative 
The first one is desirability. So, it, you know, I have this great idea. Is it wanted or needed in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. Or is it just a great idea I should sort of keep in my head? Or maybe the time isn't right right now. But is it wanted or needed? So desirability. Number two is feasibility, which is can we do it? Because mm. I can think of lots of ideas of which we should have. We are no, we have no business trying to do them because <laughs> we don't know how to do them. We don't have the credibility to do them. Nobody's going to buy it from us because we don't seem like a desirable provider for that product. Or so that's feasibility. And then viability is can you make money? Can you make money? And I always challenge entrepreneurs to say and leaders. And profitably so, you know, like you can make top line revenue, but are you going to be able to drive a profit? Can you figure out how to scale this project or this um, service so that you could do it not just for one or two or three clients, you are potentially able to do it for anybody anywhere. So that's viability. I think that also kind of sets you up. And is this really what we want to be known for in the future, you know, is this makes sense on our brand journey that we would evolve into being able to provide something like this. So did you ever have any kind of practices where you allowed yourself or gave yourself space to dream or to think? Because we talk about being creative, but I know for me and for others that I, I talk to, it's like, we have to create time for that. Did you have like a time of the day or did you like go on, like, I'm going to take off for the weekend and just think about stuff? Or did you have a, when did you get these moments of inspiration? Yeah, that's a great question, Eric. So, um, well, I, I, I do think about that when it's so easy for us to get in our own heads, you know, and to want to be all have all these ideas and to think about all of the things that I need to get done. But we've got to find that time to really stop and think long term, think strategically about the business. For me now, for example, this is either early in the morning. I used to be kind of a late at night person. I would mm. do it long after everybody was in bed. Sometimes now for me, it's early in the morning or on Saturday mornings. But what I try to do is really sort of, again, think about this like, where am I going here? So it, Because sometimes we have these feelings or ideas and they don't quite make sense to us. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer in journaling. Like you've got to take all of this chaos that's happening in your head and you've got to put it down on paper. So journal, you know, if you've got an actual journal that you write in or if you're a, if you're a device person, and you want to type out thoughts is you've got to get good at putting these things down on paper so you can kind of sort through them. And then this is, of course, the hardest part is how do I set aside all the stuff I really shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. and prioritize so that I can have, you know, perhaps the highest impact. What is, I always think of like, what is the highest and best use of me? Because there's lots of things I can do but what should I be doing? And I, I find that honestly, that's the hardest part for me. I don't want to give up doing something or I don't want to walk away from an idea, but then your impact is, is sort of this like, you know, very shallow, broad and shallow instead of, instead of deep. And especially as leaders, I think we've got to be more known for being very deep on some things that we do better than anybody else in the world. That is really uh, hitting me between the eyes. Because as a as a young, I have a young startup company. You, there's a lot of things that need to get done, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you're kind of an inch deep and a mile wide. 
And so how were you able to then, did you just go like, once you were able to scale, get a little bit more money, you're like, okay, I'm going to go hire somebody really, really talented that I can mm-hmm. trust and believe in to do this so that I can shift my focus to that. And you, uh, it's kind of two parts. You are a very motivated person. Like I can just tell <laughs> that you are a go getter. Um, did somebody have to intervene? And be like, hey, at least you 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 need to give up the reins on this, or was this something that you came to a realization of yourself? Yeah, no, oh, definitely had to have an intervention. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I say that I tell this story with all honesty and openness because I have had so many people say, "Thank you for sharing your story," because that's me. Which is, there was again this sort of this this time when we were growing like crazy. So kind of go back to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and we were really just taking off. And I was so excited about it. But the problem was I was just so focused, you know, on this this idea of this winning work, as I shared earlier. And it took um, some of my colleagues at work calling my husband and talking to me. So if I had a moment in time, a day when I was sitting at Tie Diner in the quarter booth with some of my colleagues and I was, Eric, I was pounding my fist on the table, which, you know, do I look like a person that would do that? <laughs> I, I was back then because I was so intense mm. and I had these, this very high level of expectations for my team and our, the level and quality of our work. And it was never good enough. And I was like, mm. these things have to change. And I went home that after, I went back to office that afternoon. I thought, well, we've gotten that all taken care of. And um, th- that evening at the dinner table, my husband said, we need to talk. He said, I got a call from the office today. I said, Oh, you did. And he said, yes. And he said, Elise, who are you? We don't, we don't know who this person is anymore. Where did you go? And I sat and listened to him and, you know, in all, uh, all sort of transparency here, I didn't argue because I knew he was right. And here's the thing I said to him, you know, is sort of the, the tears began to flow. I said, well, I know I need to change. I don't know how. Mm. And that was a turning point for me, sort of. And I think as a leader, you have to have enough self-awareness to say, is this working? And if not, what what needs to change? And get help, you know, whether it's, you know, a therapist or whatever it may be, or if it's just you turning to your team, to your point with your question, to say, you know, I shouldn't be trying to do all of these things. I need your help. We need to be a team here. And as we typically as leaders, we like to put the whole company on our back and carry it across the finish line ourselves because we sort of see how we think it should go. And that's the way I was. I was like, this is the level of excellence I expect. But it's sometimes it's too much and it's too, it's moving too fast for other people who just kind of want to maybe let go of the rope and they say, well, I don't want it as bad as you do, or I do, but I can't quite keep up with where you are. And so you sort of learn the lesson of just swing down a bit. You know, this is kind of the idea behind the journey was how do I be more present in the moment? How do I be a little more measured in my thinking and in what I say and how I say it? How do I be more empathetic to the people around me to sort of be in tune with what's going on in their minds, not just what's going on in my mind? And then how do I learn to share? How do I share responsibility and authority? I remember I, I after the intervention, it was sometime later, I came to this aha, which was to focus on what only you can do and give the rest away. Huh. 
Focus on what only you can do and give the rest away. So I'll tell you, Eric, there's one word in that, that statement that is the golden word. And it's the word is only. Because if you ask me to focus on what I can do, well, gosh, I'm going to tell you I can do anything, right? I can do it all. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, you have done it all. You've swept the floors and locked the doors and all that sort of thing. But you should not be doing those things. And that's when you begin to realize that the best, the highest and best of you is to focus on only the things that you can do that bring the greatest impact impact to your team, to your company, whatever it might be, to the project. You focus there. So that's the idea of not being an inch deep and a mile wide. Like, how do I be really great at these things? And how do I empower and equip and enable all these folks around me to be able to help us all soar? And, you know, the funny thing is, when I started doing that more in my business, like we got way better. (laughs) And the growth came sort of exponentially when I learned to share this is a masterclass right here. This is amazing. I'm, right, I'm having a hard time not taking notes because as I think about this, there there's stages of growth, right? Like you kind of at this early stage and then you kind of have a little bit and you don't want to have ex- just ridiculously explosive growth unless you're ready for it. And I'm thinking this is just selfishly, but it's like when you when you start making more money and you have a little bit more room to hire then it's like, okay, I really need to identify what I'm the best at in the world. The Jim Collins thing, like what really are you Mm -hmm. the best at? And then say, okay, these are other things that I'm holding on to right now. And we're going to start with this piece to maybe get, is that like maybe a strategic way to think about it? Absolutely. I love that approach, Eric, because you, I do remember distinctly a time in the business where we were all sort of generalists, like we were all kind of good at things. And like our, our MO was a ball, we'd get thrown in the air and whoever had a free hand or a foot to catch it, <laughs> you know, you would say, hey, you take this project, you yeah. take this, you know. And that was kind of fun in the early days, but it's also quite chaotic. You know, there's no real structure or process or system to how you get something done. You really can't scale that, that method of operation. And so it is definitely the idea of beginning to hire specialists, Mm -hmm. people who are really good at HR, or they're really good at data or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, that you need in your organization to bring in, you realize, hey, I've been doing this job and I've been like, okay at it, but I'm probably not the best person to do this anymore. Or if I've had a generalist on my team doing it, but that job or the organization is sort of outgrowing the needs of that role that that person can fill, I've got to fill it with somebody who brings specialized knowledge or talent or expertise. And so again, that's a huge pivot point for a lot of leaders is being willing to surround themselves with super smart people who are often much smarter than they are in certain areas of expertise Mm -hmm. and saying together, we are much better and stronger. And I'm willing to rely on the talent and the expertise of the talent that I bring in. This is great. Uh, going back to your motivation, like you, you and I had a chat before and you said you were super focused on winning and you were a very hard worker. I have a hard time believing you're still not a hard worker, but maybe it's under control. You know what I'm saying? Like you have parameters around it. Um, there is this, like I was in pro sports and college sports and like the best are the best for a reason, right? The person whose skill is the best is going to win. It's at the elite level the physical attributes kind of go by the wayside and it's winning between the ears and it's the tactical things. And so that just takes an intense amount of training. If you had to go back and you could, you still have to have that focus on winning, 
like, is there like one or two things that you would change so that you could still have a little bit of balance? You know what I'm saying? Cause there is a certain amount of work that is required. Yeah. I hate that question (laughs) (laughs) because you're so right about that, which is, um, you almost have to be singularly focused on being the best in order to be the best. And I remember people would often ask me after our company had gotten to be quite large, they'd say, oh, did you always dream of being so big? And I said, never. Oh, gosh, big was never the goal. Best was the goal. What I didn't realize that is when you have this sort of relentless strive and focus on best, growth often follows, which is a great thing, right? I realized that later. Wow, this is fantastic. Look at all the clients that want to work with us. Well, why did they want to work with us? Well, because we had this very singular focus on being the best. So I agree with you is that you need some level of intensity and commitment and drive. And maybe that's what separates those who actually become the best at something, however you want to define best, mm-hmm. um, is you've got to have that. If you don't, especially for entrepreneurs, if you don't, I don't think you can you can really ever expect to achieve that level of success. And I would say sustained su- success. So not the people who are sort of the flash and splash <laughs> and the crash, mm-hmm. you know, but that they are folks who have a long-term upward trajectory to their success, it's sustainable. So that really gets to the heart of your question is how do you sustain that? How do you have a life that allows you to strive for excellence and being best and not sort of like have a heart attack at the age of Please whatever? Please tell me. I'm ready to hear. <laughs> I am I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah. So I would say this. I think what I learned, especially this whole story about motorcycling, is I was really on the verge of a crash. I think I was on the verge of a, either a moral failure breakdown or a physical or emotional breakdown because I was trying to do so much myself. I wasn't leaning into my people at all. I was sort of, you know, I was becoming kind of a control freak and I had these, you know, super high expectations. And I would say all of that, looking back, I say, don't beat yourself up. All of that is good stuff. I mean, have a striving for excellence and a desire to be great and a work ethic and a commitment. That's a fantastic quality for a leader. You want that. But like with anything, you can overuse your strengths to where your weaknesses all of a sudden become so large because you weren't attending to them. So what happens to the person who's striving for excellence, but they can't work on any other part of their life as they become myopic like I had, which this was all I thought about. It's all I did. Literally every day I worked on the company and I used to be so proud of the fact that I, you know, after church on Sunday, I'd sit down and I'd work for five or six hours, I was like getting a jump on Monday. That was my Sunday. Is that the crazy, you know, I know. It's not crazy. (laughs) I've had to put parameters. I just don't work on Sunday. And for me, there's two reasons. One, spiritual. And two, like, if you don't take a break, like there's Mm -hmm. physio, like my expertise is in adaptation. There's a, you have to have the right dose of stress with the right dose of rest. If there's if there's too much stress on any biological system, it will fail. And so yeah. even friends of mine that have no like, you know, religious affiliation, they just there's like a day that they just take off because you just can't you can't sustain it. Um, you're also you. How long have you been married? Uh, 31 years. I have to count a little bit. I know he wins the award for most patient <laughs> husband. <laughs> I'm certain of that. So you've been married for 31 years and you have children as well, right? 
Okay. How did that, if you don't mind me asking, because I'm a father of three boys and I've been married for 12 years. How does that, how, how did that impact your kids? Yeah, good. Oh, it's a good question. I remember sitting down and talking with my children sort of later in life to say, you know, was I, was I okay as a mom or did I really? And they were like, oh my gosh, mom, we love you. We'd still love you. Of course we do. We knew we kind of, our, our most common view of you was the back of your head because you were buried in your computer all the time or running out the door. And, you know, so sure there's regrets you have, but But I also, to be honest, I wanted my children to understand what it meant to be an entrepreneur and to build something from nothing and that there is great value in life to being a person who works hard and believes in a dream and has tenacity and commitment and courage because it was super scary to be building my own business for all those years. So I I thought there would be life lessons for them. But there was also a time after the motorcycling sort of a, a situation where I began to wake up a bit to the joy in the journey. And I started spending a lot more time with my kids. And I began to do little things like, for example, I'd sort of make a, a, a day date, if you would, with each one of my kids, like once a quarter at the, at the least, I would say, we're going to spend the day together. What do you want to do? And it would always be about what they wanted to do. wasn't mm. what I wanted to do. Little things like that. When my daughter, she did competitive cheer for seven years, school and competitive cheer, which, you know, these days kids do lots of competitive sports. And she did that. We traveled all over the country going to all these competitions. And I had these sort of magical moments with her on the Sunday night, driving back home from the competition Mm. when she would be in the backseat kind of, you know, coming down from all of the competition excitement. And I would keep the radio off and keep my phone turned off. And it was just sort of the glow of the dashboard lights, if you can imagine that with the stars outside. And this is when, Eric, when she would talk to me, Mm. she would ask me questions. You're like, mom, how do you know if you love somebody? Or what do you do if somebody is mad at you? Or how do you know you're going to heaven? I mean, like the moments, you know, we were like, I want to the teachable moments. Like I better show up here with an answer. (laughs) And I learned from that, that you have to be, you have to create space in your life to listen and hear the voice of people in your life that are important to you when they're calling out to you and when they need you to listen to them. And so you've got to have that ability to be, um, be more present and in tune with other folks and to kind of sense when people need you. And so then that's kind of the, the key. Can I lean back into my family? Can I lean into my friends and my community and my church or whoever is your sort of your close group when they need you and when you need them mm-hmm. so that you sort of fill your cup in your life in other ways. So you don't define all of your happiness and your self-worth about being the best and being successful in work, but to try to think about how do I become a successful person and a whole person in my life? Mm, that's fantastic. I think this brings us to something that's really important. You've, you've talked about there, there's three areas that leaders must lead in, leading in work, leading others, and leading themselves. And you said one of those you find that people really struggle with. And can we kind of dive into that for a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, leading self. So this was interesting. What I do now after I sold my business, Mm -hmm. I'm no longer in the the PR and marketing space. I do coaching, executive coaching and 
business development, things like that. And so um, this, I was doing some research a few years ago and there's actually some books out on this. So this is not original thinking, but I was really struck by it is the idea that if you look at a lot of very successful leaders who are out there, you sort of see what is it that makes them great and where are their downfalls. And leading work is kind of the first thing we think about is like what, what makes a great leader. Leading work is, you know, getting things done, right? Getting results, driving for results. It's critical thinking. It's strategic thinking. It's really getting the work done. That's kind of table stakes. Then there's leading others, which when I think about being a leader, very often, this is what people think. They say, oh, being a leader means, um, you know, running a team and getting people to do what you need for them to do and what you want them to do. And then there's this place called leading self, which actually is where most leaders fall down. So when you see these leaders that kind of achieve pinnacle moments and then they have these sort of moral failures or these this crisis and they fall apart and you think, why in the world did they do that? If you really look closely, you see it's because they're not leading themselves. Mm-hmm. So leading, them, leading yourself, what is that? Well, um, I think of it as kind of the this idea of emotional management, sort of emotional intelligence ideas, sort of the brain, you know, how do I show up in my very best version of myself, no matter what is the pressure and the stress going on around me? How do I communicate, not, not only outwardly, but how do I listen, you know, take information in and connect with people? What is my character? What, what's my integrity, my values? Am I a values-led and a values-driven leader? Mm-hmm. What kind of executive presence do I have? How do I show up um, and think clearly under pressure, act decisively, have the courage of my convictions to stand up for what I believe is right, no matter who's pressuring me to do otherwise, things like that. Um, you know, and then it's also, I think this idea of being a learning leader, sort of what is my learning capacity? Do I have a growth mindset? Am I, am I adaptable? Am I flexible? Am I resilient? Am I willing to change and evolve as a leader? I think that may be actually one of the areas that is probably the weakest for many leaders is they sort of think they have this playbook that, you know, what got you here mm-hmm. won't get you there. And they're not willing to change and they're not willing to evolve. And gosh, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's taught us that we better be willing to change as leaders because the expectation for leaders now is really quite different than it was even just a year ago. Mm. This is powerful stuff. Um, I, you mentioned listening. It's a skill. How have you honed that skill? That's a good question. So let's listen for a minute and think about that. What is listening? Listening is not just hearing somebody's words, but it's trying to sort of ask yourself, what's underneath that? Like, what is it that Eric really wants or needs from me? What's he feeling right now? What might be a fear that he is struggling with or something that's triggering him? I mean, think about any conversation you have with people and you're thinking, this is not going very well. (laughs) You know, maybe, maybe you have to deliver hard feedback or maybe there's conflict and you're trying to sort of sort it through. Um, I have a lot of my clients say, oh gosh, I just don't know how to give that, you know, that coaching feedback to people. Oh, what if they cry or they seem to get so upset and so defensive? And I'm like, hey, just take some time to think in advance, plan and prepare for that conversation to put yourself in their shoes. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? 
What are they afraid of? What do they want? What motivates them? What drives them? How can you frame your answers or your, your thoughts to share with them? And how do you make it safe for them to talk with you. There's so many great books out there now and lots of, you know, Brene Brown is good on this one. Amy Edmondson is great on this, you know, psychological safety. How do we create a safe place where we can listen more as people share and communicate with us, whether it's spoken or not? And I think that's a bit of an art. That's back to being journey-minded is how do I slow down and be present to really hear what you need to share with me and asking good questions to make sure that I've allowed you to really unpack that. That's the art of listening. Very hard. (laughs) Something that really stuck out to me that you just said is the preparation to do it. And we're all in such a hurry that I think that the best show up prepared for the situation or they've thought through the potential questions that could be asked or the emotions that could be expressed. And that's really, really strong. Um, So this is like the things that we've just unpacked, leading self, leading others and leading work. That's really what you're focused on right now is like teaching leaders how to achieve more. And how are you doing that? Well, I do executive coaching. So Mm. that's sort of, you know, the one to one uh, situation where I meet regularly with clients. Mm. Um, I do leadership development and leadership training, lots of workshops. I'm kind of one of my things, I guess it's because I come from the marketing communications world as my uh, first profession is I I like to create content. So I write and think and create a lot. I'm used to doing a lot of, you know, presenting and things of that nature. And so I do enjoy leadership training, which is actually sort of sharing knowledge, tools, expertise, strategies with people, but then trying to engage them to actually apply it. So there's a very different state to know something and to do something like I know lots of things I should do and I don't do them. So how can you as a coach or a trainer or a teacher in your work, how can you not only impart your ideas and your wisdom, but then encourage people to try them? That's always something that I'm working to try to do with people is to help them reflect and apply so that they can actually have the courage to make change, which usually is what holds them back. Like, okay, I know to try that, I'm afraid. What if it doesn't work? Or what if I look foolish when I show up to a conversation like this? I'm I'm nervous about how I might be perceived. And I always tell people, you know what? Try something different, see if you get a good result. If it doesn't work, (laughs) try something else, you know? And guess what? Over time, you're like, oh, you know, that wasn't really so bad. (laughs) Actually, it worked. And then I say, write it down, put that in your journal, write it down. So you don't fall back into your old ways of doing. The only way we develop new habits is if we're conscious to watch for the patterns, sort of get good at self-observation, to kind of turn around and look at yourself and go, hmm, like, how did that conversation go? Eh, not so well. What should I be doing different next time? Or to say, wow, that really worked. Well, what was it that worked? How do I build on that again and try the new thing that is working and see if I can develop a new habit that works better for me? That's that's fantastic. You use a word on your uh, website, high performance, and this podcast is all about high performance. What mm-hmm. does high performance mean to you? Yeah. Well, I love that. That's your focus, Eric. That's how we met, sort of talking about high performance things. Uh, It's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? Because 
there's an easy answer, which is, oh, well, I want to be the best, right? I want these results. And that's not a bad answer at all. That's a good place to start. But I would challenge all of us to say that isn't where we should stop our, our definition of high performance. To me, I think um, the beauty of this is how we're all made to be different people. We're all unique. God made us to be different and unique in our own way. And how great would it be if we could sort of learn to be a little more comfortable in our own skin, saying, hey, this is who I am. I'm this unique person. I have talents and abilities. I have things to bring to the table. I've got opportunities to improve, but perhaps my definition of high performance is to be showing up at my very best self as often as I can, whatever mm. that might be today, because we tend to beat ourselves up. Oh my gosh, I'm not as good as I should be. This is where a lot of imposter syndrome kind of kicks in. You look at somebody's track record and oh my gosh, they've got all these accomplishments in their career and inside they feel like a fraud you know, and they have this sort of self-doubt that plagues them. And so they're constantly beating themselves up. I'm not what I should be. I'm not who I could be. And the problem there is then you sort of become self-defeating. You know, you hold yourself back all the time. You doubt yourself all the time. You're really not showing up as the best you could be because you don't even believe in yourself. Mm. So I say, this is back to leading self. How do I learn to sort of lead from within to build that confidence and that courage and give myself a little bit of compassion and grace to say, okay, so maybe it wasn't your very best attempt. What do you learn and how do you get better tomorrow? And so then this idea of high performance is I can set goals for myself to be my best version of me eventually. How do I get there and I do it one step at a time. You know, I'm not going to get there overnight. It's going to take time. But am I better today than I was yesterday? Hey, that's success. Pat myself on the back. I'm a little bit better today. And then tomorrow, can I be a little bit better than I am today? Is a good way to think about giving yourself some time to really actually evolve and perform at your very best. I love this. This is a great definition. Uh, so well thought out. I mean, as somebody that's done the things that you've done, I, I, I wouldn't expect anything less, but that was superb. Um, how do you personally take care of yourself or what are the practices that you have in your life so you can consistently show up and be your best? So since I learned to ride a motorcycle, <laughs> you guys know, I wasn't taking care of myself before. That was one of the things I began to realize at that time was, gosh, I used to love to do some of these things that were much more oriented towards self-care. I am actually a lifelong runner. I know you and I share that passion together. Um, I started running when I was young and I sort of gave it up when I was building my business. I got back to running and I actually started doing 10Ks. I ran a half marathon and I, I just felt so alive Again, you know, to actually be out and doing some physically challenging thing. So I still run. My husband and I now also hike together quite a bit, something we took up in the pandemic since you couldn't kind of really go anywhere. Mm. We started hiking and we're actually in two months, um, we're going to be just the European Union just announced that they were opening up. So Yay. we have a trip planned to go hike the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is the, the it's about 108 miles. It's a, a through hike in the Alps in Switzerland, France and Italy. So we're going to be doing that we're trading for that together that is so, awesome 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's having fun things like that where you say that's going to be a challenge. I need to train for that. I need to prepare. I need to take care of myself. I need to eat right. I need to drink lots of water. I need to get lots of rest, which of course all fuels your brain. You and I have talked about that, the neuroscience of the brain and understanding how taking physical care of yourself actually allows you to show up with really high cognitive performance and high emotional management, which is sort of the one-two punch of great leaders. You have to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, of course. Um, you I should put this, some you've pictures. Got to live the whole life. You need to put some pictures of this journey on your website. I think that would be like you on top of a mountain. It just kind of be the icing <laughs> on the cake for this whole thing. Uh, what are you doing now to grow and improve? Like, do you listen to podcasts? Are there certain things you're working on? Are there books you're reading? Like, what is it that you're doing to constantly grow and evolve? Yeah, I love that question because. If you are not constantly learning, you, you're not evolving as a leader. And I, I always tell people, gosh, I don't care how old you are or how many years you've been working in your profession, you're not ever going to know it all. So don't come across like you do. Mm. And if you do, you're going to look silly because the game changes like overnight. <laughs> mm. So just when you think you know it all about something, whether it's your, your technical craft or if it's about leadership, you know, the game is going to change tomorrow. So you have to constantly be in that learning state of mind. And I think that's when we, our brains our brains begin to wire and grow in new and different ways, right? That's neuroplasticity is when I'm challenging my thinking. So I'm a big reader of books. I know some people prefer, you know, the audio books. I've got lots of friends that do that. So I just bought, um, I bought about 12 books to read through the summer and I try to pick up and read. I don't, I don't just like stick with one and go all the way through. I stick with one for a period of time. And then I pick up another one because I get interested in different things, but I try to get them all the way through, but it's, everything from like thinking fast and slow, Daniel Kahneman's award-winning book. I've got one called The Psychology of Money, which was highly recommended to me. I, I do a lot of in my executive coaching. I have, I tell my clients, have the money conversation, not only with yourself, but with your spouse and your loved ones of what does money mean to you? And are you, are you good with that? And it's actually very interesting. And money means a lot of different things mm. to a lot of people for, for very different reasons. I'm a big Adam Grant fan. He's yeah. got a new book out called Think Again. I love him. I do listen to a lot of podcasts and his is one that I listen to. Uh, Brene Brown's kind of a, a great one. I've got another book. I'm kind of looking here on my desk. One is called Never Split the Difference. It's about yeah. negotiation. Have you heard of that uh -huh. one? Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. It's actually quite good. I just started it. And uh, so again, a lot of my leadership clients are constantly negotiating with peers or colleagues or clients or customers. And I thought this will be a really good one. So I'm a big podcast listener, um, read lots of books. And I think it's how we stay fresh, Eric. It's how we get out of our own heads, find out what do you have to contribute to the conversation that maybe I've never considered a perspective like yours before. And it makes me a richer, better thinker when I'm, I'm able to hear you out and consider that point of view. So I love to learn. Man, 12 books. That's, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I kind of want to get your book list. I'm going to have to get that offline. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm happy to share. So if somebody's looking for executive coaching or they want to have you come speak to their organization, where can they find you? Yeah, well, uh, my website's the simplest way. It's just my name, elisemitchell.com. And all of the, the offerings are there. And I have a knowledge center as well, where I post the different free leadership resources because I'm all about, you got to be a giver. So um, I have free resources and I do uh, different webinars sometimes. Actually, you know what? And 
uh, today was we just announced it. I've just launched a new membership site. So I'd love to have people join. I'm probably going to be pouring a lot of my energy and effort into my members. And you can so find I'm that on your website. Yeah, that's there Perfect. too. It's called Next On Demand. But yeah, there'll be information on my my website, EliseMitchell.com. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was unbelievable. I really, I got a lot out of this because I think you and I are very similar. And so I'm trying to, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this as things that I can start thinking about. So maybe I don't have to experience some of that scar tissue and then also some things that I can model to help my organization and myself be a better leader. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. We learn from each other, right? We're fellow journeyers. No question. If today's podcast enriched your life in any way, please support The Blueprint by doing one of the following. If you're listening on an audio platform like Apple or Spotify, please subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, would you please leave us a five-star review and give us some feedback? Your feedback is tremendously valuable. Finally, if you watch us on YouTube, uh, subscribe and leave us some feedback. We'd love to know how to improve the show and which topics you're loving. But until next time, this is Eric Horn. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.